0: Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwined through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Shema Podcast. My friends, I am going to continue with the theme we left off on our last episode of, of cultivating the garden of the mind. I want to stick on this concept of the mind and with the help of Hashem and what I've been learning from Akiva Tatz book Living Inspired. I, I discussed this book the other day when I was talking with David Block and I said how I wanted to internalize everything about it. And of course, one of the best ways to do that is to really contemplate it to a level that you can articulate it. That's when it becomes die. that's what becomes part of who you are. I knew there was so much wisdom packed into this text. And the more I delved into it and started rereading passages over and over again and, and contemplating them. Matter of fact, this last Shabbos, I probably spent more time contemplating a few paragraphs than it actually reading and studying. I think it it bore fruit. And I'm finally beginning to get some ideas that I've heard over the years. I mean, over the last decade, as I've been studying these concepts, they be, they're beginning to come together and formulate in my mind in a way that I'm beginning to truly comprehend them. I mean, matter of fact, one of the ideas he brings up is that With true DOS, with truly knowing something, that once we begin to put it into words, we begin to limit it and hide some of that truth because true wisdom is infinite and words are finite. And that's why a teacher taking these ideas and explaining them to a student, the student's not going to comprehend them at first. It takes a lot of effort on their part. But I think since, you know, I'm a simple Jew If I can begin to grasp something, then I think I can explain it in a way that will resonate with others that are on my level. that are on my lower level. Maybe that's where I can bring the table. And so what Rabbi Akiva Tatz brings out is he really explains the structure of the mind and all its components. Now, a common theme that I've discussed that I've learned is that the way we were built contains within it a lot of default programming. And that default programming is basically running the same way the animal kingdom operates. And our job is to re engineer and switch that default programming 180 degrees. So, one of the ideas I've discussed, I learned from Rabbi Yokov, will be early on was about how to fulfill the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew. You hear that the first time, sounds nice, but how do you flip a switch to create love? You don't. There has to be a process involved, a step-by-step process. And even with that step-by-step process, it still takes training to rewire how we react to things so it becomes our natural M.O., It becomes our new habit, overriding the default habit. So, for instance, with regard to loving your fellow Jew as yourself, he points out that our default programming is to look critically of those around us, analyze their negative qualities, but yet be devoid of any type of introspection. That's what the Yetzirah is trying to reinforce, that default programming. We have to override it. We have to train ourselves to only see the positive qualities in those around us and refocus that harsh analytical analysis, critical analysis on ourselves. That's how we continually improve ourselves. The default comes easy. People are all Sigmund Freud when it comes to analyzing the frailties and negative qualities and character traits of others. But when it comes to doing introspection and looking inwardly, that becomes a challenge. I spoke on a earlier podcast a few ago about how our default pattern is to want to satisfy some innate needs we have of receiving love and honor of those around us to flipping that over and only seeking to provide love and honor to our Creator. And one of the ways we do that is providing love and honor to our fellow Jew. A total 180 from what we were originally programmed to operate on. I think it's the idea I've discussed before too when I was learning call with my friend Ross Altman was that the purpose of mankind is to have the Neshama commandeer the body and make the body subservient to the Neshama. But we're going to be able to break this down a lot more. Another area where we operate by default that will lead us into the direction we're going on this episode. And it's something I used to speak quite a bit about when I was out talking to investment professionals at industry events in the area of behavioral finance. A lot of behavioral finance, a lot of the terminology is classifying people's behavior like that of animals. Because by default, what we do is we get external stimuli from the world around us that invokes an emotion and the emotion then directs the decision-making around that emotion. So one of the things you see quite often as you look at how investors behave is they do what's called herding. What is herding? Herding is like in the animal kingdom. You have a flock of elk, And they see a bunch of their peers running in a certain direction. They don't stop and analyze what's happening, investigate, determine whether going in that direction makes sense. They just know innately there is safety with the herd. Just run with the herd. No reason to do analysis. Just run in that direction. That is the highest probability of survival. so you see the same thing play out with investors. They'll start buying a certain stock. Why? Because they're going higher. They're moving with the herd. It's not they research their analysis. It's just that you see the same phenomena playing out. There are emotions, but we are supposed to override that. We are supposed to have our decision making faculties guide the emotions, which is why the Almighty commands us to feel a certain way, to feel joy all the time, but amp it up at certain points of the year, like during Purim. But then Drop it down during times like Tishbaav. He is telling us that that your emotions are something that are to be directed by your intellect, your intellect directed by him, and that way you are taking ideas and concepts, holy concepts, and using them to fuel the way we emotionally attach to this world, which is really the emotions are where we connect to the physical world in the most intimate and close way. So now let's discuss what he teaches us about the construct of the mind and how, again, how it operates off default. We have to override that. So we have an inner mind and an external mind. And we're going to start with the lower faculties of the external mind, which actually has two components as well as the internal mind has two components. So the external mind has... Intellect and it has imagination. The intellect is the process that analyzes, measures, reasons, uses logic to understand the world around it. And the imagination is the energy that brings up images and associations. The imagination is is where the energy resides. The intellect is very passive, it has to be engaged but they work together in tandem. However, by default, the imagination will just run by itself. If you ever set and just shut down your reasoning and your logical faculties of your mind, your imagination will bounce from one idea to another. And within a few minutes, wherever you start is not even close to where you end up. It bounces around from place to place. Our sages refer to this combination of our intellect and imagination as a horse and rider. The imagination is the horse galloping around and we have to take it by the reins and use our intellect to guide it. But both are needed. If we use our reason and our intellect alone, it's their abstract ideas. The imagination though, once those ideas are brought into the tangibility of the creative process Is only then that we can bring it into reality. Think of someone who's building a home. If the builder, the creative process, has no plan designed by the intellect, then the builder, the creative aspect, the mind will have nothing concrete, nothing real that can build, nothing that can be rational in its construct. However, the intellect who can conceptually design a building without the creative faculties to build it, hasn't accomplished anything either. Nothing has become tangible. Nothing has entered into this world. They both work in tandem. The trick is getting the intellect to guide the imagination. And how do we go about doing that? And the truth is, it's just hard work. It's being aware of it, which is what we just accomplished. We're aware of it now. And then it's exercising it and training it. It's just like anything we've been learning together. Even Amuna, The first time I heard about this concept that Hashem is orchestrating everything in our best interest, it was conceptual. I had trained myself to react and respond to the world in quiet contemplation. It would all make sense. But then once I began to experience life, I would default back to everything was random. And why is this happening to me? And it took time, it's an ongoing process of being able to, as events unfold in your life, to internalize it as this is being orchestrated by Hashem and everything is exactly perfect, whatever has just happened. There's something for me to learn from this, there's something that this is guiding me towards. And those tests become more intense over time, where those situations will evoke emotion. And the question is, is, training myself to not let the emotion cause my intellect to respond, but then to contemplate it, realize the source of that circumstance, and then guide my emotions through my intellect to respond to the situation with joy and happiness, knowing it all comes from my It takes practice. All these things just take practice. But the first thing is knowing what the proper maneuvers are. But gaining concentration Especially in today's world with technology, we can bounce around from one task to another. It's made us lazy in this area. I'll tell you the other thing that challenges us is that people in the scientific community and the medical community, as they are learning how the mind and body works, they're only assessing our physical nature. And definitely when it comes to a Jew, this doesn't apply nothing happens in our with our physicality our body our mind our brain that is isolated away from the spiritual nature of it we are being recreated in every moment that our body thoughts are all manifestations of something at its spiritual core physical elements are a manifestation of something happening with us spiritually this is why King Solomon, who had the greatest wisdom and knew how to use natural remedies to solve every physical ailment, realized that compilation of his works needed to be hidden from the Jewish people. And why was that? It's because he knew that if we began to just solve physical ailments through natural remedies, different herbs, and things of that sort, that would heal whatever was physically bothering us, that we would stop going to the source of where that physical malady came, which was a spiritual tarnish. But back in those days, we could go to a prophet and they would be able to tell us, your foot hurts because you're failing to do this. And then they could correct and fulfill the mitzvah properly or stop doing a negative mitzvah and the physical element would resolve itself. And so what happens in our current society is we have allowed doctors to tell us that if we are experiencing something that they diagnose it as this is how you are and a common one is is that oh well you lack an ability to concentrate because you have attention deficit disorder it can't be remedied not without this medication I'll prescribe to you but the reality is by working at it and praying to Hashem for assistance, which we're going to get a lot more into that in this podcast, God willing, that we can actually change that. Now, I shared something on an earlier podcast. I'm going to share it again to demonstrate this idea. As I know, many of you are new listeners. You may have not heard that episode, but I had an experience around five or six years ago where my left shoulder was got really injured. And whenever I tried to do any type of lift, a bench press, especially, it would scream. And so I stopped doing those exercises, waiting for my left shoulder to heal itself. A year goes by, I still can't do anything. And finally, even though I wasn't doing those certain exercises like bench press, I it just started to ache all the time. It was literally Hashem punching me in the arm at this point, telling me there's something you need to address but I did not get it at that point in time. My Muna skills were not developed. I was still defaulting back to this happened because of some random natural occurrence. I didn't have my form right, as my trainer told me, on the bench press. I injured it, and I forgot that the pain was actually coming from something Hashem was orchestrating. So I go to the doctor. When it got so bad, I couldn't take my shirt off one night. I couldn't lift my arms over my shoulders so I go to the doctor and he runs a test and does the MRI. And he, we sit down in his office and he tells me, hey, this is serious. You have severe arthritis in your left shoulder, severe. And it's not going to go away. And your entire life now is about pain management with this. I'm going to write you a prescription for some pain medication. Try it out for a few weeks. Come back and see me. And it's just going to be a back and forth working for the right proper balance of pain medication to alleviate this pain in your left shoulder. But things like overhead press, bench press, forget it. Those things are done. As I'm sitting in front of the pharmacy about to go in, I realized my training, my prior training, that this came from Hashem. So I, instead of going into the pharmacy, I went home, canceled my appointments, shut the door to my office, and sat and spoke to Hashem and to Teshuvah. He helped me recognize what he was trying to communicate to me the whole time for years now. And I finally started doing that. It brought me to tears. And I was spent the entire afternoon just doing that. But by the time it was over, my shoulder pain had, for the most part, gone away. And by the next day, it was totally gone. And the following week, I decided to try out doing bench press. I put on some weight. No issue. And I kept stacking it and stacking it and was able to lift a heavy bench press with no pain whatsoever. And I'm never taking pain medication. Every now and then I'll get some, uh, a little bit of pain in the left shoulder, but I realize it's always in those moments where I'm lacking amuna. And it's, I realize it's Hashim's way of reminding me I'm right here. And once I recognize that, then the pain goes back away again. So when it comes to this area of harnessing the intellect and getting it to control the imagination, this is something that we need to ignore the doctors when they tell us, oh, well, you just have ADD. There's nothing you can do about it, it's not true. Now let's talk about the, the internal mind and it's two components. There's DOS, which we discuss, knowing something, and there's ROTZONE, will. And once again, I wanna work backwards because when we get to ROTZONE, will, that's where we really define who we are. And it will reconcile a lot of things that I've discussed over the years. So let's start with the exterior, DOS. This is something that I've read over and over again what he was discussing, but I think I finally got it through the following analogy. And this gets at the core of our purpose here. We discuss how the exterior mind, the intellect, gathers data, analyzes, measures to make sense of everything. Rabbi Tatz discusses in the book, it's like a camera that's peering out, measuring everything. And the camera can see and analyze everything but itself. The camera can't take a picture of itself, of course, but it analyzes everything around it and then properly use, uses the imagination to bring what it learns into fruition into this world. But Das is beyond words. And Das is beyond analysis. So here's the analogy I came up with. If I were to go outside and walk down the street, I would certainly find, especially on a Shabbos day, a mother holding her young child. If I were to approach her, engage her in the following conversation, assuming naturally but what would typically occur is she would grab her child and run for help because I would look like a psychopath having this dialogue with her. But let's just assume, for the sake of this podcast, that she allows me to have the following conversation with her. And I say to her, Do you love your child? And the mother responds, Of course, I love this child more than anything. And I said, That is fantastic. I am super interested. It would be very appreciative if you could share with me the data and information you gathered and the logical framework that you created to analyze that data and information to come to this conclusion that you love your child so much. Would you please share that with me? It'd be so insightful. And of course, the mother would look at me with eyes wide open and say, I I don't have any data I don't have any information. I didn't do any analysis to come to this conclusion. I just know it. And she's right. She would just know it more than she knew anything else. With no analyzing data and information, not creating a type of logical framework for running that data and information through to draw a conclusion, she just knew it. And this DOS, this knowing, this tapping in, to really the heart of what our neshama knows is the challenge in life. Hashem gave us this little window where we could see how this operates with the love of a child. And that is definitely not by accident. Because when it comes to having that level of knowledge of Him, it's concealed. There's a barrier there. Our raw. Adam, he had Das. He knew Hashem in Gan Eden. It was... The only thing the most important thing it was all encompassing but through the sin of internalizing the yetzerah the obscuring of good from evil or at a more abstract level hashem's revelation from hashem's concealment it became obscured and now we have this barrier and of course the one window of unencumbered das the feelings we have for our child knowing how much we love them without analysis, he gave us a glimpse into that so we would know how he loves us. He wanted us to see that clearly. So since DOS does not come by default, we have to work on it. We have to engage, many of us do, like I did, our external mind, our faculties of reason and logic and imagination to learn and understand true DOS. I mean, think of my situation, which I've shared with you on multiple occasions. I had to spend six months in the beginning going through logical deductions to determine if there was, in fact, an infinite internal creator. And then I spent six months going through the logical deductions and proofs that Torah is a divine document. So I had to engage those lower faculties in order to begin, to begin this process of engaging my DOS. There's, there's also something else about DOS. I'm sure you've all experienced a situation where you have a problem, you rack your brain, you're using all your intellectual faculties, reason, logic, trying to solve a problem. And you're just like hitting a brick wall with it. You, it just The answer is not coming forth. And you'll do something like just quiet your mind or take a nap. And when you wake up, the answer is there. That is our DOS. That's just how the mind works. And that is where, you know, where the external mind leaves off is where the internal mind picks up. I discussed the parable that I learned from Rabbi Cohen, the Kabbalistic parable about the rich man and the poor man. I'm going to bring that back up again, because it's going to play into the rest of what I'm going to be discussing on this episode. But the parable, again, for those of you who did not hear it, or listened and forgot it, is the following. There's a very wealthy man, the wealthiest man in the world. He's driving in a chauffeur-driven limousine. He comes across a very poor man laying on the curb, cold, hungry, filthy, sick. He picks him up, brings him to his guest house estate, which outside of the rich man's home is the nicest home in the world. The rich man proceeds to bring the best doctors to him, tailors to make the finest clothing for him, his chefs to make the finest food for him. He provides them with all of his needs. And any deficit he sees that the man has creates pain for the rich man. He wants to fulfill every one of this poor man's needs. And then finally, the poor man comes to the rich man and tells him there's still something he's lacking. And the rich man in pain that he's not fulfilling the lack says, well, what is it so I can fulfill it? And the poor man says to the rich man, What I lack is the ability to reciprocate. I have no way of giving to you, no way of expressing my love to you. I can show gratitude for what you gave me, but I can't actually give you anything because you have everything and everything I have came from you. And that is why Hashem created this world. But I believe this this idea, this parable of the beggar and the rich man brings us back to what our true desire is. And when we are focused on that, then we can even elevate our connection and motivation in doing a positive mitzvah, not doing a negative mitzvah from simply the subsequent reward and punishment, but for the very mere fact that we have that opportunity now to give. Now, there's some, as we'll see when we get to ruts on will, there is some issues here that we're going to need to address. But back to this barrier between us knowing Hashem, this is how we reciprocate. The most general level to understand it is we spend our lives through learning Torah and through fulfilling mitzvahs of tearing down this barrier, the Yetzirah, So we have this true knowledge. I mean, what a greater expression of love than to do just that. That's why he put us in this situation. And it's such an ongoing battle, but then when we make that our focal point for our lives, we are being given an opportunity to do just that, to reciprocate, to fight between that barrier that's between us and the Almighty. And before we get to Rudzow and Will, I, I want to share a piece of MS truth that Rabbi Nagel shared with me in a group when he was teaching. But if you look at the way the secular world operates, who are very obviously... Just like the Greeks and Romans, they want to master their intellect and their knowledge of the world around them. But why do they want to acquire so much knowledge, earthly knowledge? It's so that they can control and manipulate and take. You can build wealth, have power, the more you know over someone else. Yet we, as a Jew, and through learning Torah, we are learning and obtaining and striving to obtain in greater quantities the wisdom from above. They seek wisdom in order to build up their ego and their arrogance. We seek Torah wisdom to drive down and eliminate our ego, aka Ra, in order to connect to that internal wisdom, connect to our creator, so that instead of taking from the world around us, we can give to the world around us. Another example of DOS is something that came up when I was doing a podcast with Rabbi Yokoff Wolby on, I think I called it But I'm a good person. Something I heard a lot. Talking to secular Jews. I don't need to study Torah and do all those mitzvots. I mean, it doesn't matter that I'm just a good person. And I brought up in the podcast, well, how do you know what it means to be a good person? Because you ask a thousand people, you're going to get a thousand different answers. It's very subjective. But Rabbi Yokov will be really distilled it down to its core. The best question to ask someone who says, why not just be a good person? And he asked... Why do you want to be a good person? It's perfect. It's a great question. Why is that important to you? Because at a level, at their DOS, their knowing, their Neshama, they know they want to be a good person, which right there opens up the gateway that there is something bigger to you than just your intellect and what you've ascertained on how to be a good person. It's there. Now, the way to tap into it is through the Torah mitzvos. That's why you can't just go through life saying, I'm going to be a good person. So now let's get to Ratzon, Will. This is really, really where I had the biggest breakthrough. I had Rabbi Busco on many years ago on an episode called Who is the Me? Because all my learning had brought me to the realization that we are a neshama encased in the avatar of a body. The body is just the... Mechanism, the machinery that allows us to interact with this world. But if that is the case, what I asked him, then why in Madayani do I thank God for returning my Nishama to me? If I am the Nishama, then the Modeyani should be, thank you for returning me to this body. And then in our morning blessings, we say, my God, the soul you placed within me is pure. And continue to say, as long as the soul is within me, I gratefully thank you, Hashem. So there we're again, we're in the morning, we are talking from the vantage point of the body and being grateful that it has a neshama. Now, I haven't read this, but I think in the way I reconcile something else I've always wondered about, and I'm sure there's much deeper insights on this matter, but Avraham and Sarah had their name changed Avram to Avraham, Sarai to Sarah. I mean, and it, it changed their model, it changed who they were. And once the name change occurs, you don't hear the other name referenced again. They're just called by that new name. However, Yaakov gets named, not by Hashem, but by, by Esau's angel as Yisrael, Israel. And then throughout the Torah, you hear these terms being bounced around. Sometimes he's referred to as Yaakov, sometimes Israel. And since he represents us, he is the forefather of the 12 tribes and the Jewish people. The synthesis of Avraham and Yitzchak. And I think that's what that is telling us that sometimes we are operating from the vantage point of Yokov, and sometimes we are operating from the vantage point of Yisrael. Yokov is referencing the body, and Yisrael is referencing the neshama, the spiritual version of us. And the other thing I learned from Rabbi Yokov Wolby, I shared, was when he talked about how in the verse, Avraham, Avraham, go to yourself. He's talking about there's a spiritual version of us. Each of us, just like with Avraham, and our life journey is about taking the physical version of us and elevating it to be like that spiritual version of us. So let's get back to the parable of the rich man and poor man. We said that the whole parable was about we are collective neshamas, and Sashim was thinking through creation new that. In order to truly receive the greatest pleasure, the recipient needed to give back to him. And we discussed that the way we give back is through mitzvot. But we got to get this down. We need to steal this even deeper. Because what is the problem with this parable? He put us into a world where we have more needs. We have all these bodily needs. We need food, water, shelter, clothing, Money and resources to buy those things, educate our children, do all these different things. We have more needs. How in the world have we become someone that can reciprocate when we have greater needs? That does not make any sense. Another problem, and that comes with prayer. Why do we pray, for instance, for someone who's sick? Are we trying to change the mind of an infinite, internal creator? Doesn't he already know that the person's sick? Didn't he decide for this person to be sick? If we say we wanted money and financial resources, doesn't he already know exactly what we need? Who are we to petition him for any of these things? We are a finite creation. That doesn't make any sense either. And this gets back to who we are. Are we a body? Are we a nishama? At the heart of our desire, will, is the element of our self that is making that choice. There's something else interesting in this, and that is something written by David HaMelech, King David. And he says, I am prayer. Now, David HaMelech is a representation of machus, kingship. What does that mean that I am prayer? That is who I am. There's something else I've discussed, and that is that our job is to make Hashem's will our will, and then He'll make our will His will. Let's, let's bring all these together. Let me add in some more mysteries that we can use to congeal together to truly get this idea. There's this idea of the Shekinah, Hashem's divine presence in this world. Hashem is in a state of giving, and he created a feminine aspect to receive. And we're getting back to this whole idea of creation, of giving and receiving through giving. this circular barring between creator and creation. This ultimate connection. We say in our Siddur too on Shabbos for the Shekinah to wake up, dust yourself off, it's time for Shabbos. And I've heard that the Shekinah is really the collective neshama of the Jewish people. And that the Shekinah is an exile with us in agony and pain as we are. What is all this? Me, my friends, this is really where we're going to get to the heart. And it, for me, was a huge breakthrough. And it helps me understand the, the, the purpose of the prayer and the purpose of why we lack certain things. If someone were to pray and say, Oh, Hashem, I need some serious money, millions. I need a yacht. Like the one Jeff Bezos has. You know, so I can throw some massive, massive parties. And you know, matter of fact, I'm going to need some a lot more money because I'm going to need a Lamborghini. Something that just has some ostentatious color to it that people immediately notice as I'm driving to my yacht. That way, people will notice me and the beautiful women and all the cool party goers will say, Who, who is this guy? And I'll be able to roll down my window after I got their attention. and They'll follow me to my yacht and then I'll have this amazing yacht and have these amazing parties. It'll be so awesome. Please, please give me the money for this yacht and for this Lamborghini. And they pray and they pray and they don't get the money for it. They don't understand. Why aren't my prayers answered? See, the truth is, is they are still acting like the beggar. Please give something to me. Hashem made us as his co-creators. He created this world for this relationship, this ability to reciprocate. What this means, my friends, is that when we have a lack, Hashem is saying to us, I have that lack. It depends on how you internalize it. You can internalize it in a selfish way for Him to give something to you, or you can turn around, and this is the idea to contemplate because it's big, realize that in that lack, you are lacking the ability to give something that Hashem wants. He is lacking it. He placed himself into a situation where he would need us to do certain things and then we would fulfill that lack. And so when it comes to our prayer to it's not about changing Hashem's will. What we are doing is we are changing ourselves. We're changing our will, our desire for why we need that lack fulfilled. And yes, of course, by the mere fact that we are accepting that He is the source of everything, alone is putting us in a much deeper level of connection. So let me give you an example of this. You wake up with a bad cold, you're sick, you're awful, you can't get out of bed. And your initial thoughts are, Hashem, heal me, so I'll feel better, so I won't be in such pain. I'll be able to do things I want to do today. Please heal me. When, my friends, we can turn that around and truly at our gut core say, Hashem, if I am in this state of sickness, you will be lacking my ability to go to shul and daven, to learn Torah, to fulfill mitzvos. Please, I cannot let you go with this lack. I need to be able to do this for you. That is why I'm here. And when that comes from the truest core of who we are, and that's what creates the pain for us, that we want to do something for Almighty and we are unable to do it, then we have made His will our will. They are become intertwined. It is the entire reason why He created this world. Again, He has basically flipped the table. And now the poor man is able to give to the rich man. But that's where it all comes down to. That's why David Hamelik says, I am prayer. That is what defines us. It is the whole idea of changing our will what drives us, and it creates the ultimate connection. It's not, I need money, Hashem, so I can buy a yacht and a Lamborghini so I can have some amazing parties. We make His will our will. When What pains us through lack of financial resources is that we can't give tzedakah, that we can't fulfill the mitzvot and have a beautiful meal at Shabbos or on Yom Tov, to wear nice clothing on Shabbos and, and throughout the week to represent to the world, and clothe ourselves properly, to properly represent who we are. All these things, to live in a dignified manner, these are things Hashem wants for us. He commands us to do these things. So these lacks are really things that He is lacking. And my friends, when we can learn to think of everything we lack, and then go into davening, and define who we are, by realizing that the pain we have is the pain that Hashem lacks with our lack of health or lack of resources, or lack of Sholem Bayis in the home, or whatever it may be. And then we turn our prayers around like Hannah did when she was praying. And she told Hashem, I want a son that I want to commit to the temple to serve you. And she said, if you don't give me a son, I'm going to have to force your hand. Seclude myself with a man, so I'll be brought to court Drink the waters of Sota, where, where your name is being dissolved. Bring dishonor to you. Only because I know you told us in your Torah that if I'm innocent, and I will be innocent, and I drink the soda waters, that you will promise me a child. But I don't want to go that route and bring dishonor to you. So just give me a child. And he did. And he became Samuel. She understood how to do this properly. She understood what her purpose was. Our job is to bring honor to Hashem. Our, our job is to reciprocate. And whenever we can just remember that, whatever we may be lacking, realize that really that was created because Hashem is lacking that. And we are the ones that get to choose whether or not we recognize that it's His lack and ask Him for His help so we can fulfill His will in this world. I hope I did this topic justice. These are such important concepts. It really gets into the root and the core of everything. Everything we're after, everything we're trying to accomplish. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page.